Hi, everyone. Welcome to News and Brews Sports Biz, our podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Ken Kurzel. And I'm Katie Davis. Joining us today is Dr. Mike Lazardo, an associate professor at the University of Florida within the Division of Infectious Diseases and Global Medicine. Dr. Lazardo helped lead UF's COVID response as the director of UF, UF Health's Screen, Test, and Protect program. Welcome, Dr. Lazardo. Great. Thanks for having me today. Good to see you both. Uh, Mike, can you start off by sharing some common myths that universities may be dealing with about COVID and how you would advise in the university's athletics department on communicating accurate information for the safety of athletes, staff, and fans? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to just continue to uh, go with the things that we know that work. And as I continually say that we get wrapped up in a lot of the other things are not really the main point. We get into discussions about masks. We get into discussions about testing. We get into discussions about a wide variety of different things. But at the end of the day, really, this has always been and will continue to be um, for the immediate future a vaccine story, right? So in other words, getting your folks vaccinated and boosted. Um, you know, there are limits with the vaccines, right? We know the shortcomings of the vaccines. We know that they are not an answer to everything. And that's why we do discuss these other pieces. But the more people that you get vaccinated, the higher percent, um, and that they stay up to date. In other words, get boosted as well uh, when indicated, which it is now, um, the better off we'll be. I mean, granted, there are some limits, right? Um, and we've got to learn more. There's a lot we don't know, but this is still a vaccine story. But as a, as a footnote to that is that, you know, we obviously can't go on vaccinating the entire globe every six months. So there needs to be other things that need to come into play, new vaccines, new approaches, and kind of seeing where we are. But the more people get vaccinated, the less of a problem we have and the better job we can do to protect the vulnerable. And nearly everyone thought that by the beginning of 2022, we wouldn't be dealing with the same conversations related to the pandemic and game cancellations, um, like what we saw recently with the football bowl games and what we're now seeing with other winter and spring sports like basketball. Do you think there's some hope that the Omicron surge could be the last of these types of disruptive surges or could collegiate athletics um, need to prepare to navigate these surges whenever the next variant comes? Yeah, it's a, a, a great question. I think I'm going to start out with um, kind of this idea. I saw this term recently and I'm going to embrace it. I never thought I would be a pundit, but I guess I am a pundit, which means that I'm on one of those squares on Zoom and people ask me questions and I'm, I predict the future, right? And, and I, I think there's a term that's come up that I'd like because it uh, holds us accountable. It's basically pundit accountability. So I'm going to apply that same rule to myself. Mm -hmm. And to just say that I'm one of those that didn't think this was going to happen. Um, you know, I think I've got some things right. I got some things wrong. I thought we would have a bump over the holidays, but I didn't anticipate this. I thought Omicron would be an issue, but nothing like it is now. Um, that said, we got to keep in mind that, um, you know, there are changes. And we're always, especially people in the medical and public health community, we've kind of gotten labeled and maybe not an inappropriate uh, label is that, you know, we're very ready to give bad news. Um, but we give good news with a lot of caveats, right? And a lot of footnotes. Well, you know, this could be good, but really we could all be dead by the end of the day. You know, it's just, we tend to always kind of hedge <clears throat> things so much. And so I think that um, in many ways, Omicron is very different, right? It's not the same thing as before, because even though the numbers are so high, many of the people that have been ill have been very mildly ill, especially those who've been vaccinated and those who have been boosted are even much, much less likely to get sick. Um, so I think we're seeing this, but a lot of those those sort of cancellations are done out of an abundance of caution because our 
behaviors or policies lag behind the reality, right? So in other words, we're stopping stuff because we're worried that it's going to lead to what? Hospitalizations and deaths, right? Amongst the vulnerable. And that's kind of why we're doing this, but we won't know until some time passes. So that's kind of what we're working towards is trying to understand that better. So yes, this could be if we find that this kind of moves on, but the reality of it is, is that we're going to be dealing with this on and off and we're going to end up deciding kind of like what's acceptable and what is not. Um, and it's going to be basically, I hate to say this, but a division between those who are vaccinated and boosted and properly sort of immune against the virus and how much willing, how much disease or illness we're willing to tolerate. Granted, it's changing and whether or not that'll be the dominant phase, there's no one can really answer that. But the reality is that we're going to be dealing with this in one way, shape or form for the, for, for the foreseeable future until we get, you know, get the immunity where it needs to be, where you stop fueling the pandemic by largely, you know, in, in the U.S., you're looking at over a third of people that are not vaccinated. Um, that really helps fuel things and allows those um, uh, vi- uh, variants to emerge. And also it's a global issue, right? It's an even bigger issue when you look at access to vaccine in some other places. So um, it's here to stay for a little while. I don't know that we're going to have to have those big cancellations. And I don't know that the variant, um, you know, Omicron will kind of stay as benign as it is, but it looks like it may be, and we may be looking at a very different illness moving forward. We just need more time to understand that. And, and I know that's a very frustrating, fr- frustrating thing to stay, say or hear after two years of this, um, but I think we just still need to understand how this will continue to evolve and how, our, how we continue to evolve to respond to it. No, that's a great answer. And I'm sure that um, within that, you know, as you look at the dynamics of potential impact, the collegiate athletics world where, where really most schools are, you know, boasting anywhere 90% up vaccination rates, yeah. um, very high within collegiate athletics. And you're talking about 18 to 23 year olds generally. I mean, I, I would imagine the risk factor is, is very different than just the general population too. So that's, that's got to have some positive impact, I would think. Yeah, it's a different beast. And I think that, you know, really good data from the NFL and actually from the just experience in the college athletics now, you can see that the actual participation in the sport is fine, right? It's fine. Really, in terms of the risk there, it's very minimal. It's not really significant. You've got a low risk population doing what's essentially low risk activities very frequently indoors or very frequently in large, you know, air environments like a big, you know, basketball arena or what it might be. The problem is all the other stuff associated with it, right? And those lead to the rates going up. Um, but let's also bear in mind that, you know, during the, the peak of football season, right? The Delta wave was not promoted because of playing football and being, you know, having stadiums filled with capacity. That never played out, it's outdoors. It's a lot of open space. So I think that, you know, we'll kind of continue to evolve and change here and see where we are. But, but again, there's vaccines are, are the key to really mitigate the spread to other places. I, I'm more in the, the camp of um, let sports kind of go as much as they can, because we've not seen that have a huge negative impact um, on terms of like the local epidemiology, the spread locally. Yeah, it may lead to some cases, but, you know, how do we define cases is something that we in public health and medicine need to really define. Um, just to give one example, um, you know, my daughter had an exposure and um, you know, she had a very brief exposure. We had access to rapid tests. She was positive. She literally had symptoms for four hours. Um, again, I don't want to minimize what illness is, but there are a lot of people that are not having very mild disease and that we count that the same as someone who goes into the hospital or who's sick on their back and misses three weeks of work. We need to think of different ways of counting and different ways of what we're going to accept and what we're not. 
And so I think um, I'm really a big proponent of we, we can't use the same tools to manage this because it's still it's not the same pandemic. We need to evolve and change and think differently of how what we're willing to accept. What's what's a vaccine breakthrough? Define that. What's a um, bad outcome? Define that. Um, to change because things are changing and we, we can't use the same tools and the same sort of understanding as we move along. So that's something that we need to, uh, to really address. And that, that's on us um, because um, we're an information-based society and unfortunately we're not always a knowledge-based society. And that's one of my pet peeves is there's a big difference between the two, right? And that's mostly context and experience. So you can't just throw a bunch of numbers out there and say this and give people information and expect them to make wise decisions because the path to wisdom doesn't come through information, it comes through knowledge. And knowledge should come from experts, people who've got years of experience and are willing to take the risk to, and to be wrong, to say, this is what I believe we should do and this is why. But that will allow us to do more because I, mm. I genuinely believe that we could do 98%, 99% of the things that we did before the pandemic if we just do certain things and just be prudent and just think about it and not just kind of go all crazy as, uh, as we try to just live as if nothing isn't really happening. Yeah, no, that's good. Something that caught my eye recently was the um, <clears throat> Barcelona soccer team or football, preferably, as the Europeans would say that um, they had 10 players out recently for a big match after testing positive um, for COVID. And the majority of those players were asymptomatic and they were really only caught because of just a full testing of the whole team. Do you see some point in time coming in the near future where maybe we aren't just testing asymptomatic individuals and, and that, you know, that doesn't get knocked, like the whole team doesn't get knocked out because of, of widespread testing and we separate asymptomatic and symptomatic cases? Yeah, well, well, to me, I think it's more about context, right? So in other words, um, if you have it, the, the, the fear there amongst a healthy group of individuals, right, for the most part, is that they're going to spread it to somebody else. And everybody is themselves at risk. But until we have widespread availability of therapies, um, we're going to be dealing with, okay, I don't want to spread this to somebody else. And I think that the new um, uh, medications that we have are going to really improve kind of outcomes and what we do. But remember that those folks are being screened, you know, not to see if they can play or not, but see if they're going to spread it to anybody else and contribute to <clears> transmission. <throat> so you hit on a really key point. I think that needs to change. Right. I think we need to redefine that and say, really, what have we just accomplished? So if they're out in the field and they're running around and they feel fine, why can't they play just because they had a rapid antigen test that was positive? Are they going to spread it to anybody outdoors? We know pretty well now that that pretty much doesn't happen um, and they should be vaccinated and they should be around other people that are vaccinated. It matters now. It should matter when they go home. Right. It should matter when they go to the signographs or media outlets or whatever it might be. There it matters. But again, I think it's that relook at where we are because we're not in the same place we were two years ago. And, and it's not the same pandemic. We need to make that shift and to, to hopefully not oversimplify things, move from an epidemic to an endemic. It's like, guys, it's here. This is how we got to live with it. And this is how we can manage um, and yet do things wisely, but not ignorantly, right? In other words, not pretending like it isn't there. Um, this still kills people. There are our hospitalized, a lot of people that are fighting for their, their lives right now. Um, and how do you balance that with this anecdote that I just gave about, you know, my daughter with four hours of a runny nose and then nothing to show after it. It's that, it's that wide range and challenge, um, that wide range of symptoms presents a challenge to people. And, and again, it falls on public health and medical professionals to really start coming up with a new approach and just looking at things very, very differently and kind of guide uh, kind of where we're going with our response. Mm -hmm. 
And um, so you've been an advisor in many areas on campus um, throughout the pandemic, and that includes athletics. Um, so what have you learned in communicating with different leaders in college athletics, whether it's athletic directors, coaches, et cetera, um, in just working with them on advising on how to handle the pandemic? Yeah, I think the, the, my big take home message has been that leadership really matters. Um, it really matters, and it matters at all levels, um, both at the from the athletic director's office all the way down to the coaching staff, um, not just the head coaches, but their their staff as well. Um, and it matters every step of the way. Um, it goes from you know when we're at higher risk and didn't have vaccinated people and trying to do some activities to keep things going, you know what uh, mitigation things you can put into place to keep people safe. And if you didn't have proper leadership and communication, you'd, you'd have issues that would come up. Um, again, also just impressed with the amount of work and effort and concern that people have um, and that um, there's a lot of really good people out there doing really good things to take care of one another um, in a very challenging time. I think that's been the biggest thing. And then also just figuring how there, there's almost always a way forward. Um, and then just, you know, you got to give a little to get a little. So make some sacrifices, some accommodations. And really, when you do that, where we are right now, there's a lot that you can continue to do, and it, and it works really, really well. And um, on the lines of communication, I know before we started recording, you talked about um, some lessons learned in, in communication yeah. that I think a lot of our listeners would appreciate if you wouldn't mind sharing that story. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the, the big, I guess I sound very funny, I feel very peculiar saying this about something that's been quite so serious in terms of COVID overall, but you know, there have been some pluses if we're really honest with each other. And, and for me, it's been getting to know um, the different cultures on campus in terms of, you know, the athletic groups and engineering and how the different groups kind of interact and learning what other other people do. And I've, I've learned kind of one of my more humorous uh, kind of things is that I learned, um, I don't know that I've mastered it yet, but I've started learning uh, coach, um, coach, knowing that coach is a language now um, and that you've just got to understand that a little bit better. And so one example that I had where I got sat down by some of the, the team doctors that work with the various different teams and said, now, Mike, on that last call that we had, you did okay, except you made one of the you know, cardinal sins. And I said, what's that? I said, well, you were talking to some of the coaches and then you said, you know, it's like, hey, you know, we've got like the chances are about one out of a million that you'll be able to do X, Y, or Z. And for coaches, that means like, all right, that means we've got a chance. We got to get to work and start working hard now. And so it's just, I realized I got to put things in context that I got to give a, a hard no um, and don't even say there's a one in a million chance because those guys are going to develop a plan. They're going to get to work. They're going to work really hard. They're going to compete and say how the other guys are not going to get there before they do. And again, competition's a great thing, but I just uh, underestimated the power of that. But uh, again, there's a bunch of other uh, stories there related to that that are just, uh, again, eye-opening, just really giving an, a good idea of perspective and trying to work with, uh, with what people do really well. And, and I tell you, those guys did a fantastic job in getting vaccinated because they are competitive, right? Um, and they overcame a lot of those barriers and really got, got their teams up and ready to go. And I think that story is replayed, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times across the country. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And um, <clears throat> that's part of what makes them so successful. And yeah, you, you think about the Nick Sabans of the world and like he was a strong vaccine advocate, not only for his team, but the whole state of Alabama, yeah, you know, yeah. promoting it. So, um, and I got to imagine that obviously if, if you're on the Alabama team, you're going to, you're going to listen to coach. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. And, and, and I, I have to say, I'm going to put in a little plug for uh, my alma mater at, uh, at UF. And that is that, um, you know, the old, the old ball, uh, the old ball coach, you know, uh, Steve Spurrier came out 
and uh, really did a lot of PSAs for us to kind of help us get the word out. It was a big proponent of vaccines as well. So it's been it's been great. Uh, been been great to kind of work with the athletic association, all folks affiliated with. It's been helpful. Yeah, that that is great. Um, and you know, with the competitive nature that is in college athletics, right after the CDC changed their <clears throat> latest guidelines of for you know asymptomatic, the five days quarantine and then five days six through ten mask. Of course, I saw a lot of chatter on Twitter of challenge accepted and and some speculation on does this mean we might see some student athletes masking up um, days six through ten and competing and. Wanted to hear your thoughts on that, um, knowing that, you know, you already spoke about outdoor sports, but a lot of winter sports are indoors and um, maybe picking, piggybacking off of that question is my main question, though, of if in general, if you were an advi- a medical advisor to a conference, whether it's the SEC, the Big Ten, the American, um, what types of best practices would you advise for league policy in this area, given these changes and, and restrictions kind of lightening up around COVID? Yeah, I think um, those, those uh, recommendations to any of the conferences are very comprehensive. And so there's a lot there the, to unpack and go through. And I've been impressed with the level of medical advice that they've already they've gotten. So uh, I know a few of the people have been giving that advice and they're top notch, fantastic people that kind of do the best science and apply that. I think I'll answer your question sort of from the 10,000 foot level, uh, if I can. And to me, that's really a, a, a trade-offs, right? So let's take that mask example that you brought up. And I don't think we'll ever see people competing with masks on, right? So I, I hope we never see that because that, that to me doesn't make much sense. But what does make sense is recognizing the fact that there's a trade-off. And so when CDC made those recommendations that they got a lot of flack for, mm-hmm. and I will kind of defend them, actually not kind of, I will defend them because it gave us practical reality. So by cutting it from 10 days to five, you get, you, what you gain from that is that you doubled your workforce uh, that could be at work rather than be out. So in other words, you cut in half the number of people that were out in isolation and quarantine. And what did you give in return? You gave up a theoretical 15% risk of transmission after the fifth day. So in other words, it's a trade-off, right? So most of the transmission or infectiousness is within the first five days. And with, the, with Omicron, it may be even less than that because it goes so fast, right? And, and our immune response to it has been a lot faster as well. Um, but so, so you've got a trade-off. So to me, the answer is in the big picture, it's trade-offs. The best advice I would give is that you got to trade-off right here. So in other words, you want to go to zero, don't play at all, right? That's not viable. You want to stay close to zero, have everybody running around in white bunny suits wearing an N95 mask. And you know that's not going to work either. So there's a certain point where you accept a certain risk um, to be able to do things. And you can do that, I believe that's science and evidence-based. You are going to have to give up something. It is a pandemic. You know, this is deadly. This has affected millions of lives across the U.S. in terms of having known someone who died um, or has been hospitalized. This is a big deal. But however, we can find that balance that I don't want to say peaceful coexistence, but recognizing that there are downsides to not doing things, right? So there's downsides to not having college athletics. There's downsides to not having kids in school. There's downsides to doing things purely on video. And we've got to balance those with the risks and really understand those risks better. Um, And again, that takes context and that takes knowledge. So my advice would be is just know what you're giving up and knowing what you're getting in return. Um, Always seek the best science and don't shy away from the truth. It's like, you know, if we do this, we're going to get this in return. There's no, there's no free lunch. 
and then have leaders that are willing to do that um, and, and move ahead and not be blind about it, follow the best science, but also just know what you're giving up. Um, and I think that's just a sign of the best leadership is just being honest and kind of, you know, acknowledging what you're giving up uh, and what you're paying for, what, what price you're paying to get it, what your goal has been. No, that's great. One final uh, medical related question before we, uh, before we wrap up, just you started talking about at the beginning, kind of the, the importance of the vaccines. Um, I heard another talk that you gave that actually had one of the best analogies that I'd heard of why the vaccines are effective and good, even though there is still transmission with it. And you were talking about it being like an umbrella in a yeah. major rainstorm. Could you kind of just share that analogy with our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially people will say, well, you know, the, 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 the naysayers will say that, um, you know, I know a bunch of people that have been vaccinated, but they still got sick. And then you'll also look at the breakthrough cases that we're all now familiar with the term. But uh, again, it's, I, I look at it as, you know, you want to be able to go where you need to go. So you're going to work, um, you need to get into the office and it's raining. It's a light rain. You just use an umbrella. The vaccine is like that umbrella and the rain is like the virus. If it's raining lightly or moderately, an umbrella is good enough. You'll get into work. You'll be able to present um, on Zoom or any other type of presentation you need to do and not have to change clothes. Um, and you're able to go through just fine. Um, but if it's pouring, you're going to need to do something else. Um, so in other words, like right now, it's pouring, right? We don't know how dangerous it is or how quickly you'll dry off. Uh, the, kind of, the, the analogy starts to die off there a little bit. But the idea that you, you can still kind of function you're going to need something more than just the umbrella. So in other words, the vaccine prevents you from dying, from going in the hospital. The, the umbrella prevents you from getting totally drenched, but you're probably going to need a raincoat or another jacket on top to stay dry or, you know, put, slip something on top of your shoes or put galoshes on to be able to get in and stay dry. Um, it helps you. It makes a big difference. So you need something more. So the idea that that's why we need to wear the masks on top um, during times like this, even though you're vaccinated, um, why we need to make sure that we get more people vaccinated overall to reduce the amount of virus or the amount of rain that's falling. So it really makes sense that it's just not an on-off thing. Um, and it's not like a, yes, it works. No, it doesn't. Yes, it works. We can just look in the hospital census all the time. We can look at who's died from COVID and who's been vaccinated, and who has not. Um, and we can look at those who get very mild illness that for the most part are unvaccinated individuals. Now it's complex. Um, there are a lot of things that go into this. But again, I, what I found is that that umbrella kind of analogy helps because you know, it kind of helps give some context that it's in a matter of degree, not a yes or no. And it's something that you do other things to supplement to kind of achieve the ultimate goal, which is to be able to continue to function um, and kind of be able to move forward with that. That's great. <clears throat> great analogy. <clears throat> so um, just want to wrap up with one final area in addition to college athletics. Uh, Katie and I really enjoy good coffee and good beer, and we often talk about that on the podcast. So uh, uh, what is your drink of choice uh, today, Dr. Mike? Yeah, well, I'll tell you that, um, I'll be honest, I'm drinking out of a coffee cup, so I don't want to mislead anybody. I'm kind of boring. I, I just love it. I drink a lot of water. But in terms of the pandemic, like I said, there have been some new things and new changes and things that I've kind of tried differently. So I have become a big fan of Colombian coffee. Um, so I'm drinking, I uh, can't drink all the time because I'll be awake. If I had coffee right now, I'd probably be awake until at least Friday. Um, and so I've got to kind of keep that in mind, but I really enjoy a good, uh, good coffee now and trying all the different, uh, flavors that are out there in terms of coffee, but Columbian coffee just got back from there and just, uh, absolutely love it. And in terms of drinks, um, I've actually realized I'm started drinking, uh, beer and this is no response to the stress that I've been having, but trying to appreciate a good beer. 
Huh. And uh, actually, um, the more malty flavored sort of stouts um, are my favorite. So with Guinness Stout probably being my favorite beer uh, right now. And um, I've started cooking. So I'm giving you a really comprehensive answer here. And so um, cooking a lot more than I had before to kind of that that is a stress reaction to try to deal with that. And uh, there's I'm yet to find something that's better than a really well cooked meal, usually by somebody other than me, for sure. But um, that goes with a nice uh, glass of Brunello. So I think a nice uh, Brunello wine is probably uh, my favorite right now. So the Tuscans Excellent. are my favorite. So anyway, that's my long winded answer to my newfound beverages during the pandemic. That's a great spectrum of choices. And Katie, what are you enjoying this morning? So it is morning and it's also January and January. I try to do take healthy habits this year. I'm attempting a sugar detox, which is, um, not fun. Um, <laughs> thankfully I am allowed a glass of red wine every evening, but, um, uh, since we are recording in the morning, I'm enjoying some black coffee and this one, it's also a newly acquired taste, but for those who have complained about my love of IPAs, um, black coffee is a little bit worse than that to get started on, but your taste buds start to adjust to it. Um, and I'm having Panther coffee, which is based out of Miami. And we had the pleasure of trying that in person uh, when we were down there a couple months ago. Um, and I'm having a single origin from Brazil and it's really tasty. That's great. Well, and I'm finishing up with coffee as well. I love black coffee and uh, drinking one from one of my favorite roasters, Clatch Roasting out of Southern California. Uh, it's their winter wonderland blend. Uh, so it's actually mostly South American beans. Um, and, you know, so I guess that closes the circle between Colombia and Brazil and, and South America in general. Mm -hmm. So. Um, well, again, Dr. Lazardo, thank you for joining us today. And uh, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We wish you all a happy new year and stay healthy and safe. Cheers. 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 To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving. 